Welcome back to All Alone with Something to Say. This is your host, Emma Newberry, who needs to stop saying her name like she's asking someone if it's okay if she says it. Thanks to the constraints of royalty-free music, we cannot have the lovely Motley Crue tune, Girls, 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 as our theme song today. But what we are talking about today is girls. And I'm not using that word because that's how I would describe them, but because the phenomenon of the dead girl is importantly a constraining, a limiting, a minimizing of womanhood and its effect on the world. Outside of operating as, as is often the case in true crime media, um, and even the consumption of true crime media, a sort of narrative arc of redemption for the consumer, for the male detective, and as we're interrogating today, for even us, female consumers of the genre. Our major source for today's episode is the book Dead Girls, Essays on Surviving an American Obsession by Alice Bolin. Crime stories, writes Bolin, are ubiquitous in our culture not only for their transgressive lore, but for their power to reinforce a social order, providing, quote, a sentimental reading of class differences and human suffering, a reading that promises both resolution and retribution, working to blur the edges of real and, to a great extent, insoluble problems. Due to the short nature of these episodes, there are a lot of things that we can't cover that we like to, but that is not an excuse to contribute to the sort of neat bow tying of the true crime genre. The queer news outlet Them, which I recommend all of you subscribing to, cites a 2018 report from the Human Rights Campaign which says that about 80% of anti-transgender homicides are directed towards trans women of color. Just over this summer, between June 9th and July 13th, which spans Pride Month, several trans women of color were murdered, including Dominique Remy Fells, Rhea Milton, Shockey Peters, Brie Black, Mercy Mack, Brayla Stone, and Marilyn Cazares. And earlier this month, Aja Raquel Roan Spears was murdered at a vigil for another homicide victim. These women are often tokenized or just completely missing from the narrow paradigm of the dead girl put forth in a lot of the media we're critiquing, and we want to make sure that that doesn't mean that they're absent from this episode as a whole. In the description bar for this episode on SoundCloud and at the link in our bio on our Instagram page, you can find links to donate and learn more about several organizations, including For the Girls, which raises money to assist with Black trans folks' rent and affirmative surgery, Glitz Incorporated, which is gays and lesbians living in a transgender society, Black and Pink's Boston Chapter, the Marsha P. Johnson Institute, the Emergency Release Fund, the Black Trans Femmes in the Arts Collective, the Transgender Law Center, and a regionally specific GoFundMe to help homeless Black trans women in Atlanta. We know that's not enough and it will never be enough, but we wanted to make sure that their names don't go unsaid today and are said every day as we continue to look into this phenomenon. So without further ado, here is episode two, lovingly titled One Woman Misogynist. First thing we want to talk about is about the hashtag challenge accepted phenomenon that has taken over Instagram over the past week or so. For those of you who don't know, the iteration of hashtag challenge accepted has swept the US and Europe, also known as the hashtag women empowering women challenge. 
which asks women to post a black and white selfie or picture of themselves and nominate other women to do the same. By the middle of last week, the New York Times reports that over 3 million women have used the challenge accepted hashtag and posted what columnist Taylor Lorenz in the lukewarm moment of diplomacy calls striking if opaque imagery. The challenge took off and some would say originated with efforts to call attention to the murder of 27-year-old Pinar Gultekin in Turkey. She was killed by her former partner, Jamal Metin Avci, because, according to his own testimony, she rejected his advances and appeals to get back together. As Turkish media outlet T24 reports, he said, I killed her in a moment of anger. The murder was horrifyingly gruesome. Pinar's body ended up in a barrel, partially burned. The Guardian reports that, quote, Turkey was the first country to adopt a 2011 Council of Europe Convention on Gender-Based Violence and Domestic Violence, a groundbreaking legal framework designed to protect victims and effectively prosecute offenders, known as the Istanbul Convention. The black and white photo trend in Turkey was accompanied by the hashtags, hashtag the Istanbul Convention lives, as well as Pinar's name and hashtag no to violence against women. One Turkish Twitter user named Arya with the username or handle, I guess, at Ari Lendonese captioned her photo saying, today our black and white photographs are fighting hand in hand so that they don't fall on the homepages of people we never knew. Basically, the challenge was meant to highlight the number of black and white photos of murdered women in Turkish newspapers. It says, this could be me. I'm challenging you, world, to not let this be me. As the president of the Mersin Bar Association in Turkey said, if the Istanbul Convention lives, women live. I really wanted to talk about this on our next episode just because I feel like we sort of touched on the large number of dead women in true crime media that basically fuels true crime media in our last episode. And I I don't know if you were nominated or like thought about doing this challenge. No. So I saw a couple black and white photos with like hashtag women empowering women and like thought nothing of it. I had no idea the, the origination with this case in right. Turkey. There were a couple, like the columnist I mentioned before, Taylor Lorenz, she had a field day <laughs> over like the vapidity of <laughs> posting something like this. And a lot of other people who did end up posting their own photos also were saying like, we need to be doing this for the right reason slash like this is not a movement. This is not an effective like means of action. So I was nominated by a friend who I really, really look up to and have for a long time and like served as a, she's going to like be embarrassed, but um, served as like a mentor for me in college. And I just like, she was really great. And she sent me a really nice message after posting her own photo, sort of talking about like why she wanted me to feel empowered. And so mm -hmm. I did consider doing it. And I did like write, I have like an essay in my notes app as all women do <laughs> all the time um, of my feelings. And... <laughs> So there is like some element to it that I feel like I was like, oh, okay, this like could be nice. But then when you now look up like Penargal Tech in on Instagram, it's just like photo after photo after photo of like white women in those like flowy kimono adjacent <laughs> like things from like Aeropostale just being like, yay. That was, it reminds me of what happened with um 
the Blackout Tuesday yes, hashtags. Yes, exactly. And like, because people were posting hashtag oh, Black Lives Matter. Oh, the faded black which, square. If you search hashtag Black Lives Matter, it would just, for a while, it was just covered with black squares and no like relevant information. You know, mm-hmm. the virtue signaling is what gets highlighted rather right. than the kind of meat or the meaning of whatever it is you're doing. But I mean, you know what? Like, we, neither of us did do that particular thing, but like, we're not so separate from those people okay, either. No. Yeah. With this Women Empowering Women or Challenge Accepted Challenge, there was no at least obvious concerted effort to make it about, say, the many trans women who have been murdered and were murdered recently over the course of Pride Month and just really didn't make an effort to expand the definition of womanhood in what I felt was a productive way. It was an inclusive movement that was at the same time highly exclusive in its surface level inclusivity. That's sort of like, I feel like the center of this episode is like, what do explorations slash reckonings with vulnerability, our vulnerability, and like just our own compassion for each other as women look like in conjunction with attempts to also interrogate our own white fragility? I want to be critical, obviously, and I think we clearly have been, but also just like, Women's bodies are consumed all the time. Is it the worst thing if someone posts something that is just because they feel good about it? They are, in my head, with this case, two separate things where women empowering women should be something that you feel like you can do whenever and it doesn't have to be tied to a particular event. Whereas the kind of original meaning or the original goal of the black and white photos, to me, that's... It's empowering, but like the purpose is not to empower women. Mm. And so to me, they're separate, but they're obviously not because that they've been kind of conflated. Well, that's like why it's so interesting, like the paradigm of the dead girl. It's like she can't tell you what happened to her. Pinar, for example, like she can't talk about it. She can't explain what happened to her. Right. People were comparing like the origins of Me Too with Tarana Burke. The interesting thing about the challenge accepted phenomenon is that it can only ever be adjacent to the experience, which is unlike, I think, the whole point of Tarana Burke's coining of Me Too was like, no, yeah, me too. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm with you in this experience. And I think with, like, I'm thinking of specific my favorite murders with serial killers when someone survives. And so, like, I think that's the closest you can get to the lived experience of a, mm-hmm. a, a murder victim was the Grim Sleeper, South Central LA serial killer who was active for like decades. He, they identified a dozen or so victims, but like they think there could be so many more just because- That's when it's always insane where they're not. like, he confessed to two murders, but it could be upwards of two million. Exactly. And you're like, what is your job and how are you not <laughs> able to ascertain whether or not that's true? Like, so Especially what kind of- when it's such a wide range. But one woman survived and so she- the whole story was, like, he convinced her to get into to his car to get a ride to, like, where she was going. He attacked her. He dropped her off, like, on the street that she was going to, which is really f***ed up. Um, and it was, like, this you know, side street where Please her Please consider lived. rating me five stars. And so she, like, had been shot and, like, got herself to her friend's building and no one was home. So then she got herself to, like, the main oh road to try to flag someone down. And the friend was driving back because they... They, like, had been going to go out. She never showed, so she went out anyway and then came back and, like, saw her. This was, like, I found it very empowering. And so, like, for that, it's, like, that's the closest you can get to a murder victim experience. And that's obviously rare, but it's also, like, 
it's interesting because I think it it like highlights the survivor and it highlights the humanity of the survivor. A lot of times when they do identify survivors, like it's always like, luckily, Ed Kemper forgot his sandwich at home. And like Barbara, girl from the 70s, was safe. The survival stories do run the gamut of like, she survived and she like managed to survive because of her actions right, or like right. she happened to survive. I'm also interested in like, the post, I think we saw the same post that was like, what's happening to women in Turkey? And oh, then like yeah. you swipe through and you see statistics and explanations. And it's like, okay, like now I know what's happening to women in Turkey. Like how how much more effective, I know in terms of informing people it's more effective than a selfie, but like how much more effective is posting about anything That's on why social media? Especially with predominantly Muslim countries, there is a risk of being like, here's all the horrible things happening to women as right. a whole in this Muslim country. It's things that need to be, I think, promoted and like messaged carefully, especially when like we were talking about with the um, the Istanbul Convention. Turkey has been in a long campaign to try to join the EU. Mm-hmm. And the EU's general rule historically has been like, no, you have a crappy human rights record. And that's not to say that like the individual lawmakers who adopted the Istanbul Convention don't believe in it. But the fact that it's not being promoted or implemented at all tells me that that might be a motivating factor for adopting the convention in the first place. Also, just the idea that espousing Western values, like that Western values are that there shouldn't be violence against women. The idea that like it is Western to treat women fairly and therefore... Yeah, like treating women poorly is for other people or like is or that women are not treated fairly inherently in non-Western countries. Like it's just inevitably going to be more nuanced than that. There's a really interesting passage in Dead Girls by Alice Boland about this where she writes, one commonality of domestic abusers and mass killers is a sense of grievance, quote, a belief that someone somewhere had wronged them in a way that merited a violent response as Amanda Taub wrote in the New York Times after the Pulse nightclub shooting. Violent men's grievances are born out of a conviction of their personal righteousness and innocence. They are never the instigators, they are only writing what has been done to them. This shit-eating innocence is crucial to the fantasy of American masculinity, a bizarre collection of expectations and tropes, this is the best part, quote, so paralytically infantile, as James Baldwin writes in Freaks and the American Ideal of Manhood, that it is virtually forbidden as an unpatriotic act that the American boy evolve into the complexity of manhood. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode of All Alone with Something to Say. Just as a reminder, the link for donating to the various amazing organizations that we listed earlier in this episode can be found in our Instagram bio, on the description page for this episode on SoundCloud and also in our Twitter bio. You can also go to our Instagram to find out more about each of these amazing organizations and the great work that they're doing. Have you got something to say? DM us on Instagram or on Twitter at, at the all alone pod or email us old school at theallalonepod at gmail.com.
few years ago, Mario Batali, the chef, got accused of, I don't remember what, but like amidst the Me Too movement. Mm. And he published an apology that was, you know, stupid, but it also included a recipe of his <laughs> for some reason. And there's an article or like a essay by this woman who's like, you know what? I'm going to make, it's like cinnamon rolls or something. Don't tell me they were pizza dough cinnamon. They are oh, they pizza were. dough cinnamon that's right, rolls. That's right. Okay, here's the, the title of the article that Pam's talking about is, I made the pizza cinnamon rolls from Mario Batali's sexual misconduct apology letter. A sentence I'm sure that Geraldine DeRuiter never thought she would say. Mario Batali probably never thought he would, you know. No one thinks they're going to say that sentence. Come up with something as amazing as pizza cinnamon rolls? I guess not, but no one thinks they're going to say anything close to that sentence. I know I'm crude, but like, you picked cinnamon rolls, which are drizzled with like the food semen. equivalent of semen, uh-huh. to be like, sorry, like, <laughs> it's so bad. What about a nice focaccia bread like that peach one you were talking oh about? Oh my god. Sorry, I groped you guacamole. <laughs> On shelves in Trader Joe's, coming soon. <laughs> That's our ad. <laughs> Why does our, like, 
moral code only kick in when it's like in our own time? Like, why do we not feel that same kind of, at least to the same extent, that discomfort? Things a while ago are, if not funny, then like, fine. Mm. Whereas recent things are not. I think like, that's true. They like the whole like tragedy plus time thing Mm -hmm. for comedy. Like, I think that transcends this genre but like it's there for sure and it's like i was also gonna say do you think that social media as like a sort of like force of like diffusion do you think that operates in a similar way i think so for sure because it's like i would i would say so too yeah but it's either like you get desensitized or it's like you can't i don't know listen to a survivor specifically in a tweet or adequately explain anything in a tweet or even like a you know, Instagram infographic, like we were talking about, with how we learned about Pinar Goltekin. 